our mission and our vision here at the Lex Tribe uh, today with the last part of, of our um, mission statement here. You know, we, we're sh- sharing the hope of Jesus through serving God, loving people, building relationships, and that last one, changing lives. I remember when we first put this whole thing together and the changing lives was really thinking about how the hope of Jesus changes lives. And, and uh, Josh had a, a class this morning on culture, and, and the reality is uh, culture is only changed and only transformed through the hope of Jesus. That's it. I mean, it's Jesus Christ, first and last period. Um, it's not programs. It's not laws. It's not the right politician. You know, I, I get it. 2020 is coming up, and it's already getting ugly. Okay, it's been ugly, but guess what, folks? If you start to freak out, go to Revelation chapter 4 and, and find all the references to politics. Find all the references to Republicans or Democrats. Find all the references, right? Guess what? They're not there. They're not there. So you know what? It's okay to unplug. It's okay to, to go to a place where this is truth, okay? And to say, you know what? God's got this, folks. No matter what happens, God's got this, okay? So, so I, I get it, I get it. It's through Jesus that the culture is changed. But hear me on this, folks. We can't expect the culture to change if we, if we as the sons and daughters of God are not changed, when I was young, yeah, I, I, I remember, I mean, I've shared this before, I, I remember when I was young and growing up in the church, my dad, the preacher, and I remember that revival when, when uh, I had talked to my dad about getting baptized and he said, yeah, okay, it's a good thing. And so I came down and I was baptized and, and I thought sort of it was a one-shot deal. You know what I mean? I really did. I remember being so naive. I'm going to go under, I'm going to come up, and then it'll be uh, St. TJ of, you know, wherever. And I won't have any struggles and no temptations and I'll be perfect. Of course, it didn't take any time at all before that, you know, got put to rest. Of course, then the anxiety was something happened. Did, did the baptism not take? Was the blood of Jesus not strong enough? You know? What, what happened here? Did I not really believe? And so I was neurotic for years and years and years. And, and finally, God, well, see, here's the thing, though. Here's what I've realized is that um, change with the Lord, changing lives is not just a one-shot thing. It's ongoing, right? Um, let, let's go to the, the passage that I want to look at this morning. Let's go to John chapter 3. Now, you, you guys know this passage. Uh, you know, you, you see it at sporting events, John 3.16. I mean, it is one of the earmarks. It's one of the hallmarks, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture that really encapsulates the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his... I'm sorry, but I still remember it in King James. Anybody with me? VBS, you learned it in King James. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Yep, I remember it. You guys do too. Doesn't matter. King James, NIV, it's the same thing. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. What 
what is awesome to me is that this good news of Jesus Christ so early in the book of John, right? Like right out of the blocks of this beautiful gospel of John, John wants us to know who Jesus is, what the mission of God is. And so in John chapter 3 on page 751 in your pew Bibles, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Uh, just a real quick pause here. I promise we'll get to the good stuff in a second. And some of this, again, is old Sunday school things. You know, Nicodemus, Pharisee, comes to Jesus not during the day, not normal business hours, right? Comes to him at night. This was highly unusual, right? Why is he coming to Jesus at night? Well, I mean, we could infer, and I think rightfully so, that Nicodemus wasn't really sure. I mean, Jesus is controversial at this point, right? Jesus had just gotten done going to the temple, kicking things over, messing things up, rattling the cages, okay, upsetting the status quo, right? It's interesting because John puts the temple cleansing here at the beginning of his ministry. Other gospels have it at the end towards Passion Week where Jesus does the same thing. I love to think of it as two events that happened at the beginning and at the culmination of his ministry. I think both and. You know why? Because I don't think Jesus ever stops upsetting the apple cart. And if, and if you think that in your life with Jesus, in your relationship with him, that he is going to leave well enough alone, you don't know him at all, okay? He, he is the, the guest that when you open the door, he pushes his way in. All you have to do is open the door. You open the door and you let him in, guess what? He takes off. Hey, let's go and look at this. Let's go and look at this. No, no, no. Jesus, don't go in that room. Don't go in that room. Oh, that's the one he's headed towards, right? Jesus is the one that goes to the places we don't want him to go in our heart and in our lives because he knows that's where he needs to be most of all. So Nicodemus, you know, Jesus is this controversial guy. Nicodemus comes to him at night. Now, you know what this tells me, though, about Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but about 9 o'clock, I start to break down. Yeah, I know some of you are night owls. God bless you. Okay, I'm much more the early morning person. Okay, there's, you know, anyway, oh my. Anyway, uh, so here, here's the thing. How many of us would have said, Nicodemus, you know, normal business hours. You know, Nicodemus, why don't you get me in the morning? But we don't see that with Jesus, do we? We see Jesus welcoming Nicodemus as he is even with his doubts. Nicodemus really had the one thing he needed, which is he wanted to know more about Jesus. And that, that is the key. The people that want to know, the heart that longs to know a little more about Jesus, you, you do that, and that's like cracking open the door. Jesus will welcome that, and he will come to you. And he'll welcome you wherever you are now. He won't leave well enough alone, but he'll come to you wherever you are. 
So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we know you're from God because of the signs that you're doing. Now, interestingly enough, in the Gospel of John, the only sign that we've been given at this point, other than the fact that he's upsetting the apple cart at the temple, which in and of itself is a sign. He goes to the temple and he said, this is my father's house. My father built this and you guys are not using it the right way. It's kind of like the right he has to our lives. He has every right to come into our lives and say, "Uh, my dad built that house, okay? That's got to go. You're not doing it right. Well, the, the only real miraculous sign that we would think of might be a little bit before this in chapter two at the wedding of Canaan. Everybody remember that wonderful story? It's even specified in the Gospel of John that this was the first, well, go back just one page over, right? Verse 11 of chapter 2, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Do you remember what that sign was? You know, I would have thought, uh, again, based on all the other things that Jesus is going to do, that it would be a sign. Well, again, if you want to go with what he normally does, we see him healing people. We see him casting out evil spirits. We see him doing uh, those kinds of miracles. Here at Canaan, we have him doing what? Uh, Lord, we ran out of wine. He turned the water into wine, Rubes. It's exactly right. Doesn't that seem odd? I mean, you know, it's kind of unique in the miracles of Jesus. I love it. I love it. Because, because when you look at it, it's almost as if, it's almost as if God is saying, guess what, folks? You've been drinking water. I'm going to make it wine. Wine in the Old Testament, we could talk about the symbolism there, about how wine represented the blessing of God. And one of the promises given to the people of God in the Old Testament is, guess what, guys? You are going to reap the harvest of vineyards you didn't even plant. You're going to get the best of the best. And Jesus is saying, in me, the best of the best is here. So, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He says, we've seen your signs. We know you are from God because no one could do the things you're doing if God were not with him. Now, Jesus takes us where we are. He welcomes us in where we are. But here's the thing, folks. He doesn't leave well enough alone. He knows what Nicodemus needs. And Nicodemus doesn't need signs and wonders. He doesn't need a treatise on Jesus saying, well, let me tell you why I'm the Messiah and give you more reasons. Jesus cuts right to the chase. And he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, is Jesus, question, is Jesus talking about heaven here? When I was a kid, every time I would read Kingdom of God, I would always think Jesus is talking about that beautiful kingdom someday, that beautiful new heaven, that beautiful new earth, right? Well, but that's not what he says time and time and time again. The kingdom of heaven is here. That was Jesus' words. That was his message. But here's the thing about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not something that you can see unless you have the right eyes. And you only get the right eyes if you've been born again, right? 
Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. For just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So this is the verdict. Light has come in. Light has come in, light has come in to the world. But people love darkness instead of the light. People love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly What they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus gives this great statement about the kingdom, about coming into the kingdom and what's necessary to do that, right? He says, to come into the kingdom, you have to be born again. The thing about being born again, and and again, I go back to this whole point of lives changed, right? The thing about being born, period, the first time, forget about born again, let's go the first time, is after you're born, it's not over. You don't just come out of your mother's womb fully grown, fully mature, you know everything, right? I don't know why we think that it's any different for the spirit. I don't think, I don't know, understand why we think that, that somehow, uh, you know, with, when we are born in the spirit, that all of a sudden everything's going to be the same and remain the same. Guess what, folks? We're going to change our entire life. Y- you get it, right? I mean, come on. We, we change our entire life physically. 
I am not the guy I was 30 years ago physically. <sighs> Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> I've come to that point in my life. I'm the guy that looks at the, the teenagers and the 20-year-olds and, you know, my son that comes home from college and complains about putting on 10 pounds, you know, and, and Ashland, if you know anything about their cafeteria, oh my goodness, right? It's this beautiful, dad, I eat cheesecake every meal. Shut up, <laughs> shut up. No one wants to hear it. No, no, I don't say that to the boy. Here's what I do say. Oh, it'll catch up with you. If the Lord tarries, it'll catch up with you, right? Guess what, folks? You never stop changing physically. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, but you never stop changing physically. Why do we think it's any different with the Spirit? Why do we think that, that changing lives is for the people outside and not for us? If we are not being changed, then we will not be used by God to change others. We can't be used by God to change others. When, when you are being changed, when you are being changed by God, when the master is still sculpting and hammering and chiseling and shaping and coloring and molding these things, when you're aware of the changes that are going on in your life, it brings about a humility in your spirit. You realize that I really can't judge others because I'm not the same person. I have no reason to judge your walk with the Lord. I can come to you and I can walk alongside you and we can walk together. But you know what? I'm going to do it in a spirit of love and humility. I think if the bride could figure this out, then we would have a key to reaching those outside and seeing lives changed. But unfortunately, what happens too often is, is we get stuck in a rut. We get stuck in a comfortable place in our walk with Jesus, and we say, oh, this is it. There's nothing more. Or maybe, maybe worse is when we say, oh, this is it. I don't want more. I'm afraid of what more you might ask. The, the thing that Nicodemus asks Jesus here is the same question that we ask, just with a different emphasis. Nicodemus is thinking physically here. So is it possible to, to go into your mother's womb and come out a second time? Jesus says, I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about the spiritual, but the question is still the same. Nicodemus is saying, God, are you really able to do this? We're asking the same question, God, are you really able to change me? You think about those things that we struggle with. I hope you do anyway. I hope you think about the things you struggle with. I hope you're more like Nicodemus than you are some of the other Pharisees we see, some of the other religious leaders, some of the other uh, Christians of our day and age that think they have it all figured out, that think this is the best of possible worlds. You know, I've, I've got all figured. You know what? The problem is people won't do things my way, Right? You know, if, if people would just do, if we could just do things this way, if they'd follow my instructions, it'd be a much, right? I, I hope that there are pieces of you that you say, Lord, I need help. I need help. 
Lord, increase my faith. Lord, make me more loving, more kind, more filled with joy, more gentle. Give me more self-control, Lord. Work these things in me. I hope we wrestle with these things. We were made, I think, for God, and after the fall, we're made to be desperate for Him. In this day and age we live in, we've got to be desperate for Jesus, and that's a good thing. Being desperate for the Lord is a good thing. Being desperate for the Spirit is a good thing. Is Jesus able to change me? Do you really believe he can do it? That's part of the equation. It's ability and it's willingness, right? Those two things, ability and willingness. God is both. He says, I am able and I am willing. What's the one thing he won't do, however? He won't force it. He won't force it. There's this beautiful story. Everyone here, you know, if you haven't read C.S. Lewis and the Narnia Chronicles, you should crack them open at least once a year. Now, I, I know that some in the, in the, in the tribe here today are, are a little older, you know, maybe in the grandparent mode. Good news. Grab those grandkids and say, we're going to start going through these. They're really easy reads written at really uh, simple grade levels. Your grandkids will love them. Your kids will love them. Here's the thing, you will love them too. You will love them too. Well, I'm going to spoil the second book, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Oh, that's a third book, isn't it? Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, um, Prince Caspian, there we go. And then Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and then it goes on from there. Well, there's this great scene in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader where uh, one of the kids that's gone over to Narnia, his name is Eustace. What a horrible name to give a child. I'm just saying, okay? But his name is Eustace. And Eustace is a spoiled kid the whole nine yards. He's like the worst kid you could imagine. He's spoiled. He thinks he knows everything. He's whiny. He's cowardly. He's everything, you know, that you think, oh, that's the worst kid, right? Well, Eustace gets into trouble and he becomes, now you understand C.S. Lewis uses metaphor beautifully. He, he becomes a dragon, a big scaly dragon. And not like a really good, strong, powerful, like smog dragon, but this really wussy, wimpy dragon, right? He's like the worst kind of dragon. Well, you get this scene where Eustace is really getting broken down, and, and he's getting to a place of desperation. And you know what? If you've never been there, pray for it. Pray that, the God, that God will make you desperate. Pray that God will break you. That's, that's a great prayer to start with. God, break my heart. Break it. Do whatever it takes. Be prepared for him to take you at your word, okay? So just know what you're getting yourself into, but it's worth it. So, so Eustace is getting desperate, and uh, Aslan, the Christ figure of the books, the great lion, right, the Christ figure, he grabs Eustace and he pulls him aside and he says, Eustace, the problem is you're a dragon. Eustace is like, yes, I get it. I'm a dragon. He says, you got to take it off. You got to get rid of the, of the dragon. And so Eustace then himself tries to peel the dragon scales off and he peels one layer and he gets rid of that scale. He goes, there, I did it. I peeled that layer. Guess what was underneath it? 
another layer. Okay, so he peels that layer off. And guess what was underneath it? Another layer. And Eustace peels that layer. And then he's getting frustrated. And then Aslan says, Eustace, you, you got it backwards. You can't undress yourself. I have to undress you. I have to undress you. You see, you, you can't be born again by your own will. You can't do it to yourself. It has to be done to you. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when uh, on the night he was betrayed at the beautiful Last Supper, he puts a towel around himself, he goes to wash their feet, he goes to Peter, and he's getting ready to wash his feet. And what did Peter say? Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. What did Jesus say? If I don't wash your feet, I can have nothing to do with you. If you do not allow me to wash your feet, I can have nothing to do with you. So, so Peter says, okay, okay. Well, Aslan says to Eustace, I have to do this. So Eustace says, okay. Now, here's what's interesting about it. You get the whole metaphor of, okay, you can't change yourself. God has to change you. When Aslan starts to take the scales off, it hurts. See, Eustace was doing it in a way where it didn't really hurt. Not to get too gross, but anybody ever pick a scab off? You know? Now, maybe you're like me when you pick those things off and you just slowly do it, you know, you, you take it easy on yourself. I remember my mom, you know, I would say, it itches. She'd go, hang on, let me, I learned not to go to my mom for a lot of, because her two things were alcohol and quick. Like those were her remedies for everything. So alcohol and we'll make it quick. So you, well, we try and change ourselves. We try and change ourselves. I just, I love, you know, Adam's story. Oh, I guess I need to be a better Christian now. Did you get that? You know, and, and he's right. You know, you make a bargain with God, you got to hold up your end of the bargain. Where's the rub in that? You can't make yourself better. You're broken. A broken person can't make themselves not broken. All a broken person can really do is break other people. Broken people are really good at that. We should, we should get that in our heads, especially when we come into a tribe situation. When you come into a church situation, you need to understand what you're getting. You're getting a bunch of broken people who are really good at breaking things, okay? That's why we don't try and fix each other. That's why we try and bring you to the only one who can, okay? So, so our goal here as a tribe is not to try and fix each other. It's not even trying to fix ourselves. Our goal here is to get to Jesus, so I, 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 just this week, I, I felt really convicted about this, about our church service, about we have to make Jesus the centerpiece, no matter what we do. I mean, I don't care what it would look like. If, if Jesus is the center, that's what we have to focus on. Everything we do has to focus on Jesus. Because if, if it focuses on anything else, if we lose sight of that, then we're not doing anything. We've lost our eff efficacy, which means we're not effective. Okay? And, 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 and we don't have time to, to, to play church anymore. We just don't. Okay? It, these are times when we have to be lean and desperate, and we have to let Aslan come in and take the scales off, knowing that it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. 
Now, the beautiful way C.S. Lewis writes is he's writing about it from Eustace's perspective. And Eustace said he felt the claws of the lion go into his flesh, and it felt like it went down to the very bone. And Aslan's ripping, and it felt like he would rip him apart. But at the same time, Eustace said, but, it, but at the same time, it felt so freeing. It felt so freeing. Let me ask you something. You ever had something in your life, in your history, and in your past that you just felt no one should know about you? No one could know about you? You thought, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't love me anymore. And so you bury it deep down, and and God forgive it, but the, the church sometimes has done a good job at saying, keep that thing hidden. Keep that thing down, right? Shame on us, but, but is, have you ever had that? Now, have you ever had the experience, maybe in a, a small group or, or maybe one-on-one to a brother or a sister, where you were able to bring that out into the open and you have that person say, you know what? God's bigger than that. God's bigger than that. And you know what? God loves you and I love you too. If you have never experienced that, then just listen to my testimony. There is no wine sweeter in the world. You feel so free. It's almost like that thing inside you is out, and so now God's grace and mercy can pour in. It's beautiful. It's something that the culture is dying for. They are dying to be changed. Do do you get that in all the craziness that's going on out there? I just watched a YouTube, no, it wasn't, yeah, it was a YouTube video. uh, Oh, what's the guy, the British guy, Piers? Yes, Piers Morgan, and he was interviewing a, sometimes I think the British just look at America for all the crazies, because we have more people, we're going to have more crazies. Come on, Britain, you got your own. Anyway, he's, he's, he's interviewing this uh, person in uh, Orlando, Florida, who um, sh- she claims to be non-binary, right? Which means she's sort of not male or female. And uh, she's talking about her eight-year-old daughter that's now identified as non-binary. And so they don't use he or she, they use they, if I'm not mistaken, and, and, and I'm watching this, and Barbie's watching this. Yeah, Barbie's the one that she says, you got to see this, or watch it. And I'm just like, man, this is a really crazy world, right? But I want you to hear what really is going on there. You have a person who's saying, I don't like my life. I want to be something else. Folks, that's the cry of the human heart. We have just taken the lid off things. We have just, what we have done is we've taken the cry of the human heart and given them no answers. That's what the culture's done. Here's the cry of the human heart. You hate your life. You hate the way you are. You want to be something else. We got no answers, so you figure it out. That's not a failure with the culture, folks. That's a failure on our part. 
Because I, I don't judge anybody. The, tr- trust me, I try not to. I mean, I do fall back into old habits and, and the Lord shakes me up and that's good. But, but as far as judgment goes, I, I got nothing. I have an answer though. I'm not going to say your uh, issues are worse than mine or your stuff stinks worse than mine. I'm not going to say things like that. I will say I have found an answer. I will say I once was lost, but now I see. And, And if we live in a world where people are saying, I hate my life, I want to change, and there are no answers, the problem is not with a culture. They don't have the answer anyway. The problem is ours right? Here's the thing about it, though. It's not the church needs to go back to the days when we just hold up signs and we declare Jesus is the answer and you've got to be born again and all that. That's not what they're looking for because that didn't work for us either. What they're looking for is new life and they want to see it. Fair enough. Fair enough. They want to see it. They want to meet Jesus. Folks, they want to meet him. Our role as sons and daughters, as God is changing us, our role is to introduce them. Again, we're not here to change people. We're not behavioralists where we're trying to change and adapt people to a certain form of behavior. We're we're people that are saying, here's Jesus, meet him. And here's the thing on that, folks. When Jesus changes a person, we don't get to decide his changes. You know what I mean? Oh, you have to look like this now that Jesus has changed you. The the wind. Did you catch that about the wind here, about it blowing? Here's what's interesting. It says, you shouldn't be surprised. Verse 7, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. Now, That, that to me is, you can't get a better description of the Holy Spirit. Seriously, I love that of the Holy Spirit. Because if you, I mean, it's, the Holy Spirit is Ohio weather, you know? You don't know what you're going to get when you wake up in the morning. And all you know is that you really wish you could be a weatherman because in Ohio, because no one expects them to get it right, ever, you know? So I, I get it. This is a beautiful description of the Holy Spirit and the way the Spirit moves. And, and folks, I'm excited about where we are going as sons and daughters in our culture because the culture is taking us to a place where the old ways don't work anymore, so we either rely on the Holy Spirit or we're, we got nothing, right? This is good stuff. Here's the thing, though. He's not just talking about the Holy Spirit. Do you see the next line, or is it just me? Am I crazy here? So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Did you catch that? Folks, what I'm hearing here is the Holy Spirit, if it's alive and active in your life, then man, it's not going to be cookie cutter. It's not going to look like everybody else in church. It's going to be tailor-made to you, your heart, and your situation. That's okay. It's okay. I have no right to tell Jesus how to do his job with people. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Lord, Paul Keeney needs you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Here, I got five things, Lord. 
Let me get, let me get it. I, I, he's my brother. I can do that. Anybody try that? Lord, I, you know what? My, 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 my wife really needs some help here. Let me give you a list. Man. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We need to get going. The Spirit gives birth to Jesus. I think this is the problem. This is the most dangerous thing we have in our culture today. I get it. Josh did a good job with his culture class, and we're talking about uh, policy, and we're talking about cultural shifts. But hear me on this. This is the most dangerous thing. It really is the most toxic thing, the, most, um, the thing that will strip all efficacy from a son or a daughter. God makes you comfortable. Not God's. God doesn't make you comfortable. Sorry, that's the opposite. It's not God. That, if your life is comfortable, probably, I get it. Trust me, I get it. When things are good, man, I just, have a good day. The kids don't fight too much. You know, everything's going my way. At the end of the day, Lord, thank you for your blessings. What a great, it's, Lord, your blessings, right? Now, give me the opposite. Give me a day of hardship, you know. Come into the office, wrestle with Josh, he beats me, you know, something like that. Kids fight all day, fight with Barbie, whatever. At the end of the day, Lord, what am I doing wrong? What if we got it backwards? What if, what if on those hard days is when the Spirit of the Lord is very powerful and active, very present, wanting to change me and the people around me? What if those days of comfort where I'm coasting through the day, what if God's like, man, what a wasted day. We really wasted this day. You know, I mean, I, I, I have you in position to go out and be influencers, <laughs> right? Not in a crazy, whacked-out YouTube way, but in a way that really transforms people's lives. I want to send you out with power, I want to send you out with mission and purpose. I want to send you out with something the culture is desperate for, that people are desperate for. I want to give you something. But instead, we just coasted through the day. We just sort of had an easy, relaxing, wasted day. If you are still drawing breath, then God has you on the battlefield. If you're still drawing breath, then God has a purpose and a meaning for you. And I get it. I get it. The, the, the life that we live, it seems monotonous. It seems old hat. It seems like it drags us down. We, we feel like Eustace trapped in dragon scales. But fo folks, that's perspective and it's wrong. That's why we do what we do on Sundays. We come in here and lift Jesus up. Because like he said, when I am lifted up, not just on the cross, but when he's lifted up here, when he's lifted up here, it draws us to him. We come here on Sundays desperate to be reminded that there's a throne and there's a king on it. Desperate to be reminded that you know what? I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Desperate to know we have an answer. We have a savior. We have a friend. It's 
why we do what we do every Sunday. Sunday is, is, I used to say Sunday's not a have to, it's a get to, okay? But I've kind of gone full circle. When I was a little kid, Sunday was a have to. If you're in my house, you're going to the Lord's house on every Sunday. It was a have to. Then I realized, oh no, Sunday's a good, I get to see people I like for the most part. I get to, you know, I get to worship. I get to, I get to worship. I get to come in and, and experience the grace of God. And so I said, no, Sunday's not a have to, it's a get to. You know what I've realized? I have to have it. I have to have it. It's a have to in the best way. It's like, it's like breathing. It's a have to, you know? Stay underwater for a couple of minutes and then come up and taste the sweetest breath you ever did, right? It's a get to. It's a have to. We, we have to be desperate. We can't get comfortable. We can't get comfortable. All right. Um, well, okay. You know, well, uh, nope. Nope. Here we go. You read this beginning, Wedding at Canaan. I want to leave you with one thing. Because there has to be some application here. There has to be something you can do. That's how we're doers. Oh, God, save me from my doing spirit. Help me to be a beer and not just a doer, right? What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed what? His glory. His glory. I think the easiest step that we can take to opening the door of our heart to the Lord is wanting to know more about Him. Wanting to really know Him. Wanting to really know Him. Lord, I believe you have something for me in this life. What is it? What is it, Lord? What, what do you want from me? Who are you that you want this from me? Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Anybody here so arrogant like I have been in my life to think you have Jesus all figured out? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? So, so here's the thing. Jesus, in this sign, he reveals his glory. Let me ask you something. When did he stop? revealing His glory. When was the last time you in your life said, there is where God revealed His glory to me? When was it? I get it. It is so easy to be rat race, uh, you know, wheel, crazy, straight out season of life. I've got kids. I've got parents. I've got all this mess in between. I've got all this stuff. And you know what? You don't realize that God has been revealing his glory all over the place. We live in a day and age when God has poured out his spirit on the people. This was a promise given to the early church in Acts that as far as I know has not stopped. I don't know when, it, never in the book did it say, okay, God stopped pouring out his spirit. So the amazing things that we see in the books of Acts, God is still doing in some form, in some way. We just don't have kingdom eyes. We don't have kingdom ears. Or we've let the world dazzle us. 
When was the last time God revealed his glory to you? Grandma Jean came up here this morning and said, hey, you know what? I I was worried about leaves in my yard. And then God happened. I love that. I love that Grandma Jean can recognize that for what it was. To her, God revealed his glory. God gave to Jean what she needed to be reminded of. You are not forgotten. You are my daughter, and I love you. When was the last time God revealed his glory? Which is the wrong question to ask. The real question is, when was the last time you saw it? When was the last time you saw it? You know what, folks? There's something, I I promise, one last thing and then we'll go. Because it's, oh, I have one minute. I have 50 seconds. There's something in the Bible called a fast. which I'm not sure why it's called a fast, because when you're actually doing it, it goes by really slow. But, but in the Bible, people would, would take days or several days and they would stop doing something that is not just enjoyable, but kind of necessary. So for instance, eating was one of the ones we normally think of with a fast. You would stop eating. Now you can't do that forever. It's kind of a necessary thing, you know, to live, you know, you have to have food, you have to have water. They would do it so that it would make you aware of the need. There's, there's lots of reasons, but that to me is one of the big ones. It makes you aware of the need, okay? And in the Bible times, it was food. It was something they needed, something that they would take a break from. It wasn't to lose weight. It wasn't to get a, a handle on, you know, things. Like, no, it was to make you aware that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So I get it, okay? Here's the thing, though. Why don't you take a day or two or a week and unplug? What do I mean by that? I mean, go through your house and everything that's not an appliance, and the TV is not an appliance, okay? The internet is not an appliance. Unplug it. Just unplug it. It's okay. Take that squawky box that we carry with us, right? I mean, anybody here remember when phones used to be on the walls? and you were restricted by a cord. Anybody here like celebrate when your mom bought like the 50 foot phone cable and you could go in a room and shut the door, you know? Man, wouldn't it, I miss the the walls, you know? I miss it. It's okay to unplug and to say, God, I'm gonna unplug and I wanna hear you speak. You're talking, I wanna listen. It's okay to unplug. Folks, Jesus' words to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be changed. And you've got to be changed and changed and changed. You've got to live in a place where the Spirit is blowing in your life, upsetting the apple cart and changing things. That is kingdom life. Those words are our words today. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you want to know how to be born again, what he's talking about, the water and spirit and meet Jesus, then come and meet me down here. I'd love to introduce you. Or maybe you've walked a long time with him and you've got things going on and you say, I know he's speaking, but I can't hear him. You know what? That's why we have each other so that we can pray with and over and for one another, so that we can be reminded that, you know, not only is God on his throne, but he hasn't abandoned this world either. And we are his bride. So I'm going to pray, and if you want to come meet me down for prayer, I'm right down here. Let's pray. Father God, 
Thank you for your grace in Jesus. Thank you for our beautiful Savior. Lord, thank you that you take us as we are, but you don't leave us kicking in our blood. You clean us up and you rip the scales off and the flesh that's underneath it is free. God, thank you that you set us free indeed. Lord, I just pray for all of our hearts, starting with mine. Lord, that we would hear your words, we would see your deeds, we would know your spirit, that God, change needs to happen and it needs to happen here in this room. It needs to happen with this, this your bride. Lord, change us. Lord, give us humility. Humility as you do it. Lord, help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you, tribe. Go in peace.